look back at my uh, story with Christ, there's a couple moments that really stand out to me. And I remember in 2014, there was a letter that I wrote to my parents and my family. And it was basically a letter uh, in which I cut off contact with them. And I was living in Minnesota at the time. Um, I told my parents that I didn't want them to reach out to me. I didn't want them to try and contact me. I told them that I was in the middle of a divorce from my husband um, and that I was an alcoholic and a drug addict and that they um, should distance themselves from me in order to protect the rest of our family from the things that I was going through. Um, So I did write that letter in 2014, and I sent it. um, But I kind of want to talk about how I got to that point. I grew up in a conservative Christian homeschooled family in Kentucky. When I was seven, my family and I moved to Rapid City, and we started to attend a home church. Prior to that, um, we used to do Bible studies at my house that my mom and dad would lead, and so I was being taught the scriptures, but I'd never really experienced the church in its communal form. Um, We went to that home church until I was about 13, but the kids were never really made to be involved in the service. We would usually be upstairs playing Grand Theft Auto or watching Dexter's Laboratory while the adults met in the basement. So, sorry, Mom. Um, (laughs) I was baptized around age 10 in that same basement in a hot tub, so way better than those of you who have been baptized here in that ice-cold, frigid tub. Um, But by the time I was 13 or 14, I started losing interest in um, my faith and Around that same time, I I kind of stopped attending the home church with my family and started to go to a Wesleyan youth group that met here in town on Wednesday nights. It was the same time that I started attending Stevens High School. Um, It was my first experience in a public school setting, and so I started to realize that not everyone had the same um, experiences as me or the same viewpoint or belief systems as me. Uh, So I made some really eye-opening friendships, and I went through a period of time where I really questioned my faith and where I stood in relation to God. I also entered the world of dating, where I discovered uh, my unhealthy addictions to intimacy and affection. Um, When I was writing this, I I reflected back and realized that since I was 15, I have not been single for a period of more than three weeks. So I really have had a pattern. Um, It was also during this time that I started drinking more frequently. I'd often tell my parents that I was out with one friend when I was out with other people entirely, and those people tended to have much more reckless behaviors. Um, I started to write terrible suicidal poetry and abuse painkillers, and it was just kind of a double life that I was able to lead, um, and it made me feel like I could get away with anything. I put myself in a lot of really dangerous situations due to my excessive drinking. I was rebelling against anything and everything that I've been taught about faith and sin and salvation and sacrifice, and I didn't really have a a safe place that I felt like I could turn to to ask all of the hard questions that I was having. So when I was 17, I graduated high school, and on a whim, I applied for and received a full scholarship to attend Indiana Wesleyan University. Um, During my first week there, I met and fell deeply in love with a man um, who was also very adept at leading a double life. We were engaged within two months. Um, So while we were leading community programs for our peers and engaging in weekly biblical counseling to ensure the spiritual productivity of our relationship, we were also partying together on the weekends and sleeping together from the first day that we met. Our relationship was always really volatile. He was, at the time, undiagnosed with his bipolar disorder, and 
um, our drinking and drugs exacerbated every issue that plagued our relationship. So we both engaged in verbal abuse of each other all the time, and on many occasions he turned the abuse physical. There were times when um, when I would try and leave or I would tell him that I wanted to break up with him, and he would use threats of suicide as a way to keep me there. Um, when I reached a breaking point, I decided to leave him, and I packed a duffel bag and flew back to Rapid City, uh, and I left most of my stuff in the home that he and I had shared together out there. Within two weeks of being back in Rapid City, I was dating someone else. Um, and finally, I met Lucas, the man that I would eventually marry. I hadn't done any of the emotional work that I needed to do in order to overcome the addictions and trauma that I had experienced. Um, I just kind of always skipped over the hard parts when it came to counseling. I just wanted to leave things behind and start over. And with Lucas, it felt like that was actually possible because he was stable and hardworking and very kind-hearted. I felt like if I married him, I would also become stable, which is far from the truth. But we attended Project Church out here together during the time that we dated. Um, many of our co- or Project Church family members are here at Common Ground as well, so it's really kind of cool full circle. Um, Two years later, we married in 2012, and I, for all appearances, was a dedicated wife, um, when in reality I'd had a relationship with a man at work for almost the entire time that Lucas and I were dating. A couple of months after we married, we moved to Minneapolis to pay off school loans, and um, during our first 18 months in in Minnesota, we really didn't see any of each other because of our work schedules. Our life was crumbling, but we didn't see enough of each other to realize it. During that period of time, we both tried to attend a church in the cities, but we had a hard time connecting with many of the people there. Like, no one in my small group was available at the time that I was, and so many of the relationships that I attempted to grasp simply fell through. Mostly that was because um, I was chasing an insincere version of the faith that I claimed to love. I had normalized my drinking and my addictions to the extent that I couldn't see how they were damaging me, and I imagined that this was living with Christ as the full fulfillment of the law. So it was very delusional at that point. But during the crumbling of our life together over the summer of 2014, I met another man and became an unhealthy affair with him. He was a heavy drinker as well and shared a treasure trove of narcotics and other drugs with me, so of course I was attached. I had told this other man that I was in the process of divorce, and he believed me. Then Lucas came out to me in a way. He told me that he'd only ever gone to church because I was interested in it, and he shared with me that um, he'd never really felt like a Christian and that Christianity was a very low priority for him. So I grabbed onto that as the final straw of our relationship and decided um, to leave. So in August of 2014, I printed and signed divorce papers, I wrote Lucas a letter that I was in love with another man, and I left him. And that was the same time frame when I wrote that letter to my parents as well. Um, I, I moved directly in with this other man, and I will spare you the details. Um, but the next few months were just a whirlwind of substance abuse and debt accumulation and depression. Uh, during those months, I would roll out of bed each morning, and we would drink, drink whiskey instead of coffee. Um, It was also during this time that Lucas called me out of the blue and told me that he wanted me to come to counseling. And I barely took the call. Um, But I finally agreed to meet him for dinner, and he somehow convinced me to come to counseling. 
It took months of his encouragement and patience and compassion, and I was nowhere near ready for reconciliation or sobriety, but Lucas continued to pursue me and check in on me. We had a weekly dinner date, even when I was living with this other man. My husband set up a weekly dinner date with me, where we would walk through the ways that our life together had exploded. And so with his help, in January of 2015, I moved he moved me from this other man's house and into the attic of a co-worker's home so that I could be separated from all of the drugs and the disillusionment. Eventually, my, co- or my counseling turned into our couple's counseling, and eventually our dates turned into me having sleepovers at my husband's house. And eventually I quit my jobs and I left that other world behind. I still wasn't ready to move back in with Lucas, and so in March of that year, I took my car and put my duffel bag in there and just took off on a road trip around the country. And I was just driving kind of aimlessly, um, and then about three weeks into my trip, I realized that I hadn't needed any of the tampons that I had packed, and so I bought a pregnancy test in Austin, Texas, and in one heart-stopping instant, I realized that Lucas and I were going to be parents. Since that moment of realization, my life has changed. God threw me exactly the curveball that I needed to get my head on straight and realize that I couldn't continue to live the way that I had been. I wasn't healthy, and I had never been healthy. And now I needed to be healthy for this life that was growing inside of me. I drove 18 hours straight from Austin, Texas, back to Minneapolis to see Lucas, and we started to plan our escape together. (laughs) Counseling was a necessity, and support was a necessity. Um, Distance from drugs and from my other partner were a necessity. We decided to move back to Rapid City. Somehow God used the patient persistence of my husband, even when I was running away and when I was hurting him, to teach me about compassion and forgiveness and unconditional love. It's taken me over four years of consistent counseling, a mental health diagnosis, multiple relapses and attempts at moderation, a 100,000 redeeming hugs from supportive friends for me to get to where I am today. I've got 406 days sober from alcohol and 1,739 days clean from other drugs. Um, I had to figure out exactly who Jesus is and why he seems so attached to my heart. I joined this church when my daughter Annika was around six months old, and um, we've been going here for over three years now. Lucas and I have another daughter, Helena Farron, um, and we continue to build our lives together around the ideas of compassion and reconciliation and family and community Although he doesn't attend church with us, God has given me scores of ways to minister to him as he walks through his own questions and his own trauma. And we're taking steps together in his faith walk that I never imagined would be possible. In 10 days, as most of you know, I'm giving away a kidney to a friend in Portland. Um, She was a high schooler that I was able to walk with a few years ago, and I prayed with her as she gave her life to Christ. Now God's able to use me and my sober, fully recovered body to give her a second chance at a full life. I'm able to spend my time working with hundreds of high schoolers through Young Life and the Cave Collective. I'm able to walk with them through their own stories of addiction and trauma, and it's a gift to see how God brought me through things in order to help them see his love and his provision. I get to work with other young moms in my role as a group leader in MOPS, and I get to teach them how much God cares about their trials and their triumphs. I get to raise my daughters. It's a gift that could have easily been taken from me if I persisted in my addictions. And I get to see them 
experience the love of Christ through their church family. Um, I pray that they inherit their daddy's compassion and his integrity and my curiosity. But mostly I pray that they experience the love of Christ and they know that he sees them as completely invaluable. I get to love my husband, a man who had no idea what he was in for when we stood at our makeshift altar in 2012. Um, a man who I adore more than anyone in the world who's been used by God to redeem my life even when he says God isn't his priority. And now in the reverse, God is able to use me to show his love to Lucas and to draw him close to Jesus through the ways that we discuss the hard questions together. And so now I pray that God gets to use me to speak into the lives of the people that I interact with, like all of you, so that all of the things that I've destroyed and all the pain that I've been through and have caused can be used to his glory to show how powerfully capable he is when it comes to changing the life. Jesus has shown me how we are all victims, we are all villains, but ultimately he is the hero of every story, no matter the depravity. I love all of the verses about God's love and his redeeming power, the scriptures about how much he cares for us, I think of how he uses all things together for the good of those who love him, but mostly I think about the verse in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph is talking to his brothers after they've sold him into slavery, and he says, You intended this for evil, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And I feel like Jesus is speaking to me in that verse, and he's saying, Mary, you meant to do these evil things for your own selfish purposes, but guess what? I'm bigger than your sin and your darkest desires. And I can change all of this ugliness into something new and transformative and full of life. Just watch. That's my story. Okay, so uh, 